0: Digital Gonzo, episode 139, recorded 4th of July 2013. Batman, a graphic novel history. This is the second half of the conversation I had last week with David Hartrick and Matt Ramsey. In it, we have detailed every milestone in Batman's comic book history to make a chronological reading list for you folks, and also detail the story of the Bat family. Now, not all of them will appeal to everyone, so it's up to you guys to assess which of the books you like the sound of. Consult the podcast notes for publication years and authors. Now, I've had to make some heavy edits for time and pacing because this ended up at two and a half hours long. However, I will ensure that what got said is still conveyed in intent. Enjoy, and we'll see you in two weeks for The Killing Joke. Same bat time, same bat frequency. Okay, so we're going to start with Year One and then get, take it all the way up to a, the Dark Knight Returns and using them as bookends. Now, uh, Year One is, is accepted as canon, isn't it, Dave? And, yeah. And uh, Dark Knight yeah. Returns is considered Elseworlds. Now, Elseworlds means it didn't happen in this continuity.
1: Yeah, parallel parallel
0: universe, but that's a whole other clifftop to tumble over in the DC world. Yeah. Back in 1980, they retconned everything with... uh I'd- well I tell you,
1: I tell you how you could take it without tying yourself up in knots. what you could take it as now in in current continuity if you 're a new reader wanting to check out Batman, you could take it as flashpoint was your first event basically, and you could you could take it back that when you see the new universe at the end of flashpoint you can go back and read year one and that would be batman five years ago you don't need to tie yourself in knots with the crises and sure. various other things
0: okay uh, but in terms of actual real world events crisis was what a point when they retconned everything back in 1980 new 52 is where they retconned everything in 2011 yeah what we have for you now, folks, is 21 years, chronologically speaking, of Batman history taking in from a 24-year-old brand-new Batman in year one to a 45-year-old ex-Batman uh, around the same time as Black Mirror. Now, as I said, New 52, he's only been doing that for five years. So basically everything we're saying here took place over five years. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So we'll start with year one. We don't really need to go into this too much because we've already reviewed the film, and I think most people uh, listening know roughly what's it's about. It's Batman Begins.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and it's uh, to be fair, it's a masterpiece. It's it's pitch perfect. You know, you don't need to say much more about it because this is Frank Miller at his absolute best. You know, and. Uh, Every, everybody should it's a, bit, it's a touchstone And I'm sure if anybody is even Halfway interested in Batman If you ask them to name two books It would be The Dark Knight Returns And
0: hopefully Year One You know. So. I on the other hand Actually find it kind of boring and small And uh, I, I do like The animated version of it And I know it's sacrilege to say that Year One The great and mighty Year One Isn't all that But it's, it's a really good Jim Gordon story Batman is a tertiary yeah, character. But, but I love that. Yeah, I no, that's, that's not saying that it's a bad thing. It's a, it, there aren't enough good Jim Golden stories. But in comparison to the, the the majesty of Batman Begins, it always seems like it just sort of goes...
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I'm the other way. I think with Batman Begins, I think there's elements... I, I think they could have lifted more from year one, and I would have been happier.
0: I definitely would prefer to see Flass as the year one version rather than the sort of the, what well, they don't like, yeah. falafel version. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Matt, have you read the year one? Yes. Uh, and you've seen the, uh, the movie starring Brian Cranston as Jim <laughs> Gordon.
2: Indeed I have. Um, I prefer the animated movie to the comic, but... I, I I like the comic. I don't have the same issue with it as I do with um, Dark Night Returns. Although I'm still not a huge fan of the art style in a lot of places, because it's 80s art, and I, I don't I appear to have a problem with 80s comic art <laughs> in general. Um, yeah. It it's uh, it always seems to be um, quite almost washed out in terms of the colour a lot of the time. I, I just I just prefer my, my uh, comic art a bit bolder and a bit cleaner in terms of the lines. But I, I like both, but I, I would say I probably prefer the, um, the, the film.
0: I like my black's blacker and my white's whiter as well. That didn't really seem to come in until they got started to use new glossy stock. Mm. The film is actually really accurate to the book. They take out very little. It's a, it's a considerably shorter film and, and a shorter book, even though it's still four issues. They're half the size of uh, Dark Knight Returns. And it's a, a clean, smooth, straightforward story. Again, like I said, it doesn't exactly blow me away, but it's a, it's a decent beginning. Uh, probably could have been more impactful as a film uh, had they got a really excellent, charismatic, young Bruce to, uh, to do the voice there. Instead, uh, the guy's extremely flat and dull. So yeah, I uh, recommend both of those. There's one actually that should take place before the long Halloween, and that's The Man Who Laughs by Ed Brubaker. Uh, it's a it's a very short um, graphic novel. In fact, if you buy the graphic novel in paper form, uh, what you're paying for for your ten ninety nine is a bunch of extra padding that they use to to, <laughs> to chunk it out. There's a, a bunch of other stories. This is a slim. Uh, story about the first encounter between Batman and the Joker. It's where Joker tries to poison a reservoir. Uh, it was published in 2005. You can find it on Comixology for a mere $1.99. The thing that's impactful about this one is uh, that Batman recognizes the despair that Joker has felt on on first meeting him. He realizes that he's seen, same as Bruce, life is cruel and horrible and will take the people you love away from you. Only Batman decides to fight back and Joker decides to lash out. So that's a a nice little uh, uh, short graphic novel addition to the uh, list. Next up, we got The Long Halloween, which is a canonical uh, year two story. Now, this is my number one, maybe number two recommendation of all this list, Uh, written by Jeff Loeb, the guy who wrote Hush as well. It concerns uh, the Joker coming to town and Batman having to deal with a uh, serial killer named Holiday who strikes every uh, month on a different uh, celebration day. So, Halloween, Christmas, Thanksgiving. It is also the uh, birth of Two Face and the fall of Harvey Dent. One of the most important contributors to the Nolan films. It's one of the most grown up, noirish Batman stories I've ever read. I love the long Halloween.
1: It's a, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an excellent story, but what it, I think what you would take it as is if you look at year one as a, a sort of somebody finding their feet, this is the birth of Batman as a detective. You know, if you like your stories punchy and full of bits and pals, this isn't the story for you. This is a 12 issue arc of a murder story gradually unfolding, you know, and at times the pace, you know, the pace isn't for everyone. You know, it can be sort of glacial in places, but it is is—it is overall, you know, it's not far off being a a top ten all-time Batman story. For you? Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah.
0: For me, it's way up the list, just the the dialogue going back and forth and the intensity of it. Matt, have you read either this or its follow-up, Dark Victory, in which he uh, enlists, which is a year three story where he enlists... Uh, dick grayson after dick's parents are murdered to become the first robin
2: i've read both uh i'm a big fan of um long halloween i do like it an awful lot dark victory wasn't as good but i I still liked it a lot the problem Um, with dark victory is it should have been half the length you know it was
1: it were too long another 12 issues it were too long should have been another six yeah
2: yeah that's fundamentally there's there's a bit too much fluff and, and waffle in it really um it just doesn't work quite as well as a story. It's not as uh, it's not as, as well paced. As you say, there's just too much of it, really. But it, it's, I, I do like it. I do still like it.
0: Both of these could be abbreviated into excellent films, as well. I believe.
1: The, yeah, the only thing is that detective work doesn't make for great pacing in an animated film. Mm.
0: Mm. Which and is that, why you edit it down and get get it much quicker.
1: Yeah, I, he you fights know, Grundy. Yeah, oh, I love Solomon Grundy, Born Mm. on a Monday. He's a a great villain.
0: Uh, Next one, uh, which would technically take place chronologically after Dark Victory, although you're going to have to factor in, I've got this giant spreadsheet here where I tried to work out the actual (laughs) chronology of it. Um, A period of five years with Dick Grayson as Robin, uh, ending uh, around about the same time as Crisis, which you can strike off this list as having not happened. Yeah, where Dick decides to become Nightwing, he goes from being what twelve years old to being look, well. I guess, it's it's it, wasn't he it fifteen years old where he's young Dick, and then twenty yeah. twenty one when he becomes Nightman Nightwing.
1: Yeah, if if you look at people who have tried to classify it, they'll tell you that Dick Grace and his parents, you got to take it as, as thirteen and fourteen, right? And then he moved on when he basically turned twenty. That's Some people say university age, 17, 18, but if if you were going to say he was 14 when he started and 17 when he ended, that's just it's too short, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, so I'd say, yeah, it was about 20.
0: So if you're actually going to try and say, well, what filled in these years, it's everything that Batman and Robin did from 1939 to about the mid-1980s.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: That's a that's a lot of decades worth of stuff, but getting tied to enormous pianos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all I the spring stuff. A lot of that stuff.
1: There's the thing we should clarify now. There's there's basically nothing of that era on here, and that's because a lot of that. It's very difficult to convince anyone who isn't a completist or a, a real hardcore fan to go back and read any of that because it's just so different stylistically, pace-wise, tonally. It just doesn't sit the same. There are some really great stories in there.
0: Especially but the got Neil to, Adam stuff.
1: Yeah, but I mean, half the time you've got to dig through a couple of layers of shit to get to them. And that's that's just the honest... Because it was at a time where you know the whole approach to comics and the spanner comics was completely different um and it is although there's nothing of that on here that's not to say you know if you are a completist you should go and read some of that stuff but it's it's not it's not essential anymore you know it, it sounds like we're tossing it out the window and you effectively can to be honest
0: Killing Joke was Alan Moore in 1988, and that's when Jason Todd was still Robin, but Alan Moore didn't want to touch Robin. Uh, Hence, Jason Todd doesn't actually feature in the story. Uh, Now, Killing Joke coming very, very soon on Gonzo. (laughs) I'm not sure how much we want to really go into this story, because I think we're probably going to end up talking about it in a making of some other point, but it was absolutely, it was very, very significant, but at the same time, Alan Moore really doesn't win points with me when you actually read up on it. It's like, Alan, when he looks back at it, he's like, oh, the story's shit, oh, I can't believe they let me do that, oh, no, no. It's like, it's, it's grotesque and irresponsible to have done those things that they let you do, Alan. You <laughs> fucking wrote it! Yeah. He <laughs> like, disowns it, oh, yeah, there's just, just this awful story. Get,
1: <sighs> the only thing to add on the killing joke is that it is, however you... Even if you're not a a massive Batman fan, even if you're just a fan of comics, the killing joke is almost, it's a touchstone in how to write a layered, fascinating, emotionally engaging story that feels so much more than, you know... Of to Alan
0: Moore. He thinks it's cheap,
1: but he. The problem is with Alan Moore. He became very, very bitter after his split with DC again over notions of ownership, and he wanted to do this. This. This is a whole other story. Was, so this, me um, a...
0: was it him Starman, the the Miracle Man? Uh, well,
1: <laughs> he wanted to do. he was leading up to doing this fantastical DC event set in the future where. Constantine comes back, and they have to prevent a future. Uh, Superman is – the world has become controlled by – Marty, we have to
3: prevent the
1: future! (laughs) Yeah, well, the world's become ruled by houses, so there's like the House of Superman and various heroes in there. And he he was – he had ideas – That DC were willing to let him run with, but they needed to keep him on a lead because he was wanting to do world-changing things and character-changing things with characters he wasn't writing. So Alan Moore wanted to take over the DC Universe and turn it into Alan Moore's DC Universe.
0: Couldn't they just say, fine, do that, just make it an Elseworlds? Well... But I know no, they hadn't. This is prior to yeah, the Elseworlds label. But, but just not, could someone say, just but, like Dark Knight Returns, this is a possible dark future. But how do you create tension
1: and get people to buy in to a story when you stick a label on the front saying this doesn't really matter? Because <laughs> that, that's effectively what you're doing. And there were there were other issues between Alan Moore and DC, and he just became. In my personal opinion, I think Alan Moore is a, is absolutely unparalleled in some of his comics, right? And I think, it's, I think it's bordering on genius. But I think his ideas and his opinion of Alan Moore himself is perhaps the one thing that has stopped him from not not doing more. Because that makes it sound like, you know, oh, he could have done so much better. He, could, he couldn't. Some of the stuff he's done is peerless. But if he'd just check his ego in at the door... Once or twice, you know, he, he would, he'd become, well, to be frank, he'd he'd become likeable in my eyes, which is, he's not. But, you know, a great talent often comes. Great responsibility? No. Which he doesn't take, I might add. Yeah, great anarchy. And I think when you say that, Alex, I know what you're saying about his going back and saying, I can't believe you do this, but I think you've got to read between, you've got to cut through a little bit of bitterness and a little bit of, they've gone off and done before Watchmen and they've done other things and, you know, they've they've taken his property and said, no, Alan, you worked for us at the time, this is our property. So you've got to look through that and you've got to actually get to the heart of it and say this is actually a man who's pretty bitter, pretty pissed off at a company, saying, oh, yeah, well, I was, you know, I, I, it's not my best work and I didn't like it. And that's just rubbish because you cannot read The Killing Joke and not think it's utterly brilliant you know on on so many levels so
0: well i hope it is com- as compelling to listeners as you <laughs> say it is it will be i'm sure Uh, by Jim Starlin all the way back in 1988 that, prior to, uh, the Batman movie. The, the cult is just
1: brilliant, basically. It's, it's, um, Deacon Blackfire basically comes to Gotham and, who is uh, Deacon
0: Blackfire? He
1: is a character specifically created for this story. You know, it's, it's a completely self-contained arc. I say again, who is Deacon Blackfire? <laughs> He is. It depends what you choose to believe. You can either believe that he's a some sort of immortal shaman who has okay. uh, built these cults wherever he's been, or you can believe he's an absolute charlatan
0: gotcha.
1: who uses drugs and mind manipulation uh, on his followers. He basically traps Batman um, almost by accident. Batman's investigating when all the homeless people have gone missing, and he basically brainwashes him and drugs him and it's just a really it's it's a it's a creepy story it's you get a real sense of what batman goes through sort of when he when he eventually manages to break through. he he's got the withdrawal from the drugs he gotham city is then basically taken over by deacon black blackfire's followers um who are just killing you know anybody they deem as criminal um and you get more there's more of the Dark Knight Rises in the coal than there is in No Man's Land, definitely, including whole panels, you know, the the bodies on the bridge and everything. Is I just read just like here, number
0: of issues, four. That is music yeah.
1: to my ears. But the <laughs> thing is, just forewarning, though, you've got to go back to a time where an issue was, I think, like... Th- I, I think it's about 50 pages. So when it says four you issues, value it's not,
0: money back in Yeah,
1: days. it's, it's not 422 22 pages. It's still, a, it's still a full story, but it is so, so worth reading. It is a, a, just a great story. I don't want to say anything to, I, I don't want to reveal the ending, but it's where, put it this way, you know, it's the only Jason Todd story I consider worth reading. Um, and it's just a, it's just a
0: great, great, great Batman story. Okay, Matt. While you're here, could you check Comixology for uh, for these issues? It would. Uh, it was a mini series rather than actual individual ones. So after Crisis and Dick becomes Nightwing with his ridiculous fucking collar, um, <laughs> <laughs> and his, dis- his disco suit, uh, Jason Todd became Robin. So. I think what what bothered me about Jason Todd's Robin is that he looked exactly like Dick. Yeah. They, they didn't change the costume at all. So it was kind of like, okay, Dick's gone, but we got Robin back. He's the same guy, and he's a bit more angry, and he, he's mouthy. If you believe some of what
1: you see written on the internet, and you shouldn't, but... <laughs> if You, you never <laughs> believe that crap. If you do believe, and I I've seen it written a few times... The reason they created Jason and create him in Dick's image is because they had an idea to kill Robin, but they could never kill Dick Grayson. You know, it just, you, you couldn't you couldn't do it. If you do it with a new character, you create, there's, there's a disconnect there so that they can run their phone poll and they can eventually kill him. If you did a phone poll to kill off Dick Grayson, nobody would vote to kill him. Yeah, I tell you now, nobody. So Dick's too likeable. He's basically Jason. Ironically,
0: Jason was a dick.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, but he is basically a, a, a dick cipher. He is a, a, you know. (laughs) 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 That must be an insult somewhere. Which is also a sexual position, I believe. (laughs) Uh, Difficult to achieve, but doable. Um, As
0: is the Cleveland Bat (laughs) Girl.
1: But, uh, yeah, it, he becomes they they change a few. He is a bit of a, like you say, he is a bit of a dick. To be honest with you, ironically,
2: he but he
0: is, is overly aggressive. Yeah, it's overly cocky.
1: But again, the whole game plan is to make it so that you get to a point where if you want to kill him, you can. And you can offer your readers and it, you know, it was a very close thing, the poll to kill him, mm. but he, it was ultimately, it was what they were planning to do anyway. If they hadn't killed him at that point, they would have killed him at some point because it was, it was a next stage of, of Batman's evolution as well to lose one of his family. And I mean, you can't kill Dick Grayson and you can't kill Alfred, which mm. is, is anybody outside of that feels a bit Superfluous. So you know you have to create another you can't robin. Can't kill Bullock. Well, you have to you have to create another ro- robin for it to have the impact of oh my god they've killed a robin.
0: That seems but, remarkably cheap and divisive for them to actually decide that.
1: But this was this was the eighties and you know the seventies and eighties. This is when you know comics in America they they were regularly selling hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of issues. Mm. You know it's not like today where you know eighty thousand hard copy issues is a massive massive seller you know you were talking 800,000 and things like this they'd they'd never they'd never tried on this sort of scale before so you have to put it in that context
0: and this was only what five years before death of superman if that no 92 Uh, four years before
1: yeah yeah but i the the thing about The thing about the Death of Superman thing is I think you you can almost look as Jason Todd as a bit of a proving ground to see if an audience would forgive um, you actually doing that enough to keep reading and and stay invested. Because I think the Death of Superman story, again, if you believe everything you hear, was in the pipeline for a long time. There was a lot of people thinking about Do we do it? How do we do it? Because Superman had become a very contrived character and he needed to radically change to get some new stories, so... Okay,
3: kiddo, I gotta go. It's been fun, though, right? Well, maybe a smidge more fun for me than you. I'm just guessing, since you're being awful quiet. Anyway, be a good boy, finish your homework, and be in bed by nine. And hey... Please tell the big man I said. Hello.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, Death in the Family, which we're leading up to here. Uh, Joker um, catches Jason in a warehouse, beats him half to death with a crowbar, sets a bomb. And at this stage, Jason uh, is in there with his estranged mother that he's only just met. And the place goes up. And Batman races to uh, see if Jason's okay, and it leaves you on a cliffhanger. And in the next issue, he's dead. But he was, it's, it's worth just clarifying again, the reason he was
1: dead, there was two next issues written and drawn. Yeah. And it was a phone
3: call. He's poem. alive!
1: And it, it's, it came down, I forget, it's quite famous to figure out. Like 48.52
0: 52 or something
1: percentage. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of the actual phone calls that they got, it wasn't a massive, it wasn't a massive amount between them, because there's this whole. Comic fans being comic fans there 's this whole conspiracy about some bloke in America had a a thing that was just calling alter, to be, alter just to repeatedly do I it. would like you
0: to kill Jason Todd
1: but it was <laughs> at, at the time you have to understand this was in to have the bollocks to kill a robin you know to kill a child but to be clever enough to put the knife in the audience's hand it was a bit of a masterstroke and although it's not it's again it's not the greatest batman story it was the
0: joker thing to do that and so this is to yeah. prove you're just as twisted as we are
1: <laughs> yeah but it was it was a bit of a masterstroke from dc and again it's not the best batman story but it's certainly worth reading because it's it's an important part of his history
0: yeah I actually really liked it because, um, I, I, I bought these on Comixology myself, uh, recently for like 150 per issue, there's only four issues. And, um, as opposed to the, the, again, the, the, um, if you buy the graphic novel, they pack it full of filler and charge you twice as much. Uh, yeah. But, um, that's what I love about comicsology You can just go, right, I just want to read out of Nightfall the one where Bane actually snaps Batman in two. Oh, that was good. I'll read the one after that as well. What I really liked about the um, Death in the Family is Batman's reaction afterwards. He goes very cold, and he goes after the Joker, but Joker has diplomatic immunity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, which, I mean, it, it veers into the ridiculous
1: bit, but there are there are moments in that which are, are pretty good there's i think off the top of my head it's a while since i've read it but there was one moment i really liked which i think is where bruce loses it and he punches superman mm. it was, and it superman tells him you could have broke your wrist if i hadn't rolled my jaw like that and i just and it was the first time this was years ago and it was the first time i actually thought oh, yeah, actually, you would. You'd smash your fist into pieces if you punch Superman. Yeah. So there is little, you know, there is little bits in it which are very, very good. But it does veer a little bit into the world of ridiculousness. I mean, when he walks into the the UN in full, um is it Iranian? He's the ambassador for Iran, isn't he? Yeah, he's been made the ambassador for Iran. Yeah, and he's in full Joker. Guard. This yeah. is. Yeah, and he. Uh, yeah, he doesn't have flying dolls. No, but he does. He does release a load of poisonous gas into the room with the intention of killing everyone.
2: It's but the joke, Super- SSDD. Yeah,
1: you know, Superman's... It's all right because Superman's in there as a catch-all and sucks all the gas out. And so it does. It does veer into and, goes he- and lets off in the atmosphere. <laughs> yeah, well, it is very tried and tested. It's not treading any new ground, but it is again. It's it's a cornerstone. These. The list, when we put it together, not every, its not like the best Batman stories there's ever been. It's, I think, the you, milestones. Yeah, that's how you have to
0: look at it, really. Right, uh, Matt, did you read a Death in a Family at all? No. Okay. Um, I would like to read a, Lon- a Lonely Place of Dying. <sighs> the it is not available on Kindle. The paper version is like sixty-eight pounds. It is not available <laughs> on Comicsology. They skip these issues and go to the ones just afterwards.
1: I've got it. <laughs> I've got one of the original, the first printing
0: of the graphic. Why are we well. not allowed to read this well, for probably... folks at home? It's the first Tim Drake story. Uh, it's, yeah. it's Batman dealing with the death of Jason Todd and having to deal with a new wannabe Robin. That sounds fucking fascinating. Why can't I read it?
1: <laughs> yeah, and it—I it, mean, it is a—it is a very good story and straight right from the right from the go it pegs tim as a very different kettle of fish and a very different robin because this is dick was an acrobat um so he was you know he was all about the the physicality and the movement and he would be the light-hearted side while he was bouncing off walls left right and center jason todd was the brutality the violence the attitude and with Tim Drake, it's more the, like the cerebral side. He finds, he he realises who Batman is. He realises that Batman's not the same without a Robin. He approaches Bruce Wayne. Um, he, he tracks him down, basically, and he approaches him and says, you know, you're not the same without a Robin with no intention of actually taking it up the mantle himself and through a Fairly contrived set of circumstances. He ends up putting on the suit and, you know, you know
0: the rest. You can guess the rest. But this it is. sounds so instrumental. If I'm, if I need to follow up on Breakdown, the way Breakdown yeah. ended, I need to know this stuff.
1: I'll, I'll send it to you. I'll, I'll lend it to you. It's, it's worth reading. It's, Again, it's very over time, so, you know, read into that what you will about the artwork and some of the story decisions, um, because there's sort of a story running in the background at the same time that's a bit hard work. But, yeah, again, there are some really high moments, and it does does a really good job of establishing that Tim is not going to be Jason Todd, he's not going to be Dick Dick Grayson, he will be Tim Drake. And... um, He's a little bit too young. He really feels like a little kid. He really feels like, you know, every inch is sort of 11, 12-year-old. Um, but, yeah, it is, it is a worth a read. And I, I can't for the life of me why they haven't st- stuck it up on Comicsology because, I mean, Lord knows DC are sticking everything else up. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: so I would have... Well, they've
0: got, got this almost... Up. It's not complete run, but they've got a huge run on the Batman comic. And uh, it just sort of there's a, this chunk missing. Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's annoying. But that's the same with any, I mean, Uncanny X Men. Huge. Basically, all the time I was reading Uncanny X Men in the 90s, just not there. Just just (laughs) gone. They've got the Executioner song, and they've got, um, the Phalanx Covenant. (laughs) But that's it. this Arkham Asylum by Grant Morrison, which I've having read the other day again I can't believe this was the same year Tim Burton put out Batman in 1989 it feels like ten years younger maybe even um 21st century stuff it's really fascinating it's horrible and I hate it <laughs> but it's a really brilliant fascinating book and I urge everyone to read it and then go Ugh, that was horrible I hate it <laughs> <laughs> I thought, uh, gentlemen.
1: Matt, do you want to go first? Uh
0: I don't like it's
2: not my kind of art style at all. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the art style, but it works for this. You like
0: Sandman. It- this is Dave McKean. Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, I <sighs> I do like Sandman, although, as I say, that's something I read fairly early in my comics career, and, and my tastes have changed a little bit. But it does work perfectly for this because it makes it look like a bloody nightmare. It isn't particularly pleasant to read; it's it's no. quite a, a horrible. The subject thing.
0: material is so grim it's for really a Batman. Really
2: brutal, book. and but it, it it's a, as you say, fascinating. It's a it's a great story, and I, it's uh, something I'd recommend to anyone to read if you want to know about uh, Batman and 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 the. Sort of the Rose Gallery, he has because ev- everyone's in there. Really, it's it's Batman against everybody. Maxi Zeus, you know yeah. the person we all want to know about. <laughs> but <he laughs> there.
1: The thing is, I, I don't, I don't think the story is particularly great, and the art style can be difficult to wade through. Um, but, but there are, there's just some throwaway lines in it. It's like I, I mentioned to you, Alex. There's, there's in the back of the um novel, there's some um they're like sort of almost not portraits, um they're like they're almost effectively self portrayed. Yeah. yeah. And you've just got this line from Clayface and it just says not born shit into existence. And Kevin Smith nicked it for the shit demon in uh Dogma.
0: The Golgotha. Brilliant. But
1: the um Who by the, the way Clay... looks
0: exactly like Clayface in the <laughs> yeah. an animated series. But
1: The reason I bring that up is because Clayface is just, he's a really difficult character to sort of place any believability into at all. You know, he's a man. You wouldn't catch him in the Nolan films. No, he's a man made of clay who can form himself into, you know, a beautiful woman if he wants. He can form (laughs) himself into a brick wall. It's a ridiculous villain. But strip all that away and just get, the notion of the inner workings of someone who believes exactly that. He's not been born. He's been shit into existence. And he just suddenly this like figure of ridiculous just takes on this really creepy, creepy edge. And this, this book, there's loads of little moments like that. And I, I mean, I think it's a really good Arkham story. I don't think it's a great Batman story. It's it, it could almost work without Batman in there to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. But again, it's it's something you should read, and I'm not going to say you're enjo- going to enjoy it, but there's going to be things that are going to stick with you from it.
0: There are some elements that they pulled and actually put into the Arkham Asylum games. I almost wish it was called something other than Arkham Asylum, just to uh, yeah. differentiate it. Technically, if I'm ever going to refer to this, it's called A Serious House on Serious Earth.
1: yeah. I mean, there's, there's all sorts. From where he sort of scratched the um, story in a circle on the floor.
0: Yeah, Amadeus uh, 20, Arkham.
1: One of your achievements, right? The end from the Arkham journals. They, they, I think they talk about it's the same serial killer. Is it Martin Hawkins, Mad Dog Hawkins, or yeah.
0: something? So it's it's yeah it's that stuff that's the creepiest and most horrible, actually, because you're you're hearing the account of the man who built the asylum, Amadeus Arkham, talking about how his his family was murdered by one of his own patients. And it's, it's the most horrible, nightmarish thing ever as his descent into madness.
1: Yeah. But when, what's so good about it is when it starts, you would have no idea where it was going to end yeah. to be perfectly honest with you. And that it's a, the best thing I can say about it is it's a very, very Grant Morrison book. Yes. And you know, if, if you love Morrison, you will love this book, but
0: there are moments in it that will live with you. The best part of this book is where uh, a psychologist says that the Joker remodels himself all the time to suit his environment, which would explain why the Joker is so irregular as a character, depending on who's writing him.
1: Yeah, and it, we'll, we'll come on to it much, much later, but that, when Morrison's R.I.P. run, that's something Key has revisited in a whole... <clears throat> different way in a bigger way so you know there are ideas in arkham asylum that pay off a long time in the future
0: yeah at this point i have to make a major edit to the podcast david proceeded to talk for 50 minutes about two books Nightfall and No Man's Land. While it was great fun to hear him go round the block with these books, they are at the advanced end of the Batman scale. 1993's Nightfall is an epic saga of seven movements and around 70 comics. It is about Bruce having his back broken by Bane, handing over the cowl to a religious zealot named Jean-Paul Valley, and then having to heal up and reclaim it. 1999's No Man's Land is 80 issues long and concerns Gotham being annexed, earthquakes and plague. Both of these had some influence on the Dark Knight Rises. Now Dave would like you folks to know that Nightfall is one of his very favourite stories and he reads it every year. I suggest you get talking to him for specifics but only consider tackling these two mighty beasts... ...when you have read most of the rest of this list... ...and you hunger for meaty epics. Other books mentioned that didn't make the final cut were... ...Flashpoint, which we'll be talking about later... ...when the animated film comes out... ...Gotham by Gaslight, which is the first Elseworlds novel... ...concerning a Victorian what-if Batman... uh, ...written by Brian Augustine in 1989, mid-90s arcs from Legends of the Dark Knight... ...which are Faces, Blades and Images... And Earth to Earth, Swamp Thing, Volume 5, written by Alan Moore in 2002. Now let's get back to the slightly more manageable stories. And finally, in the Elseworlds section, Mad Love, which actually fits in with the animated series continuity. And in fact, uh, it was written in 1994... And uh, when I read the story, I was like, this seems really familiar because it was... Um, five years later it was made into a whole episode called Mad Love in uh, the new Batman and Robin Adventures. So if you've already seen that episode, it's the one all about Harley Quinn going back to her origin and um, her time when she first met the Joker. It's you are on familiar ground and you're like, I remember this bit, I remember this bit. But if you can get your brain to go back to prior to that episode and see that what they were giving you was there, it was uh, written by Paul Dini and, and Bruce Timm, their ideal episode that they wanted to do, and this was years before they actually got the chance to do it, it's fantastic to read. Now, it's your favourite, isn't it, David? It,
1: as a single issue, there is not a panel in it that isn't utterly, utterly joyous. It's, it's just that there is something completely charming about Harley Quinn, despite the fact she is an absolute raving... Uh, lunatic and what it to give the joker a girlfriend seems ridiculous in the first place to then put her into continuity and make her into the character she is today and such a huge part of of you know the the batman world is just incredible because in the space of one issue she just arrived and she was part of the world it was like she had always been there and it was like there was Harlequin stories going back decades and it was it's just such a beautifully structured story. And there are parts of it I think you you've probably agree with me, Alex, there are parts of it that are just really sweet. Mm. And they and mm. it shouldn't be. <laughs> no, it should it shouldn't be. Like when she's in the asylum and she's talking to the Joker and he's going over his story and he's spinning his his tales the artwork is so good because it, it gives you this real sense of this conflicted woman who eventually falls completely in love and is then blinded by her love completely. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the other thing I have to say is that the, the end fight with the joke where they're on the train, some of the panels on there are just gorgeous,
0: absolutely gorgeous. But There's no explanation for how Batman loses the Joker and the Joker jumps down to the train and the Joker sort of laughs to himself, ha 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 ha, I got away turns around and Batman's there too I don't care, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> is he going teleport now? It, it, it really is though to,
1: to be fair you know, I, I, I know I'm talking a lot and all that sort of thing but if nothing else the, the two you should read if you take nothing else from tonight is you should track down Mad Love and you should read the cult they are—they are the two that not everybody has
2: read, um, but they really, really should do. What news of the cult on Comicsology, Matt? There is one issue, which is one ninety-nine. It's fifty-two pages. One dollar ninety-nine. It's fifty-two pages. That's it. You can still—I think you can
0: still get it collected, can't you? you yeah, can it's still like thirteen pounds copy. for the uh, for the analog yeah. copy. Okay. Um, Right now, fortunately, Mad Love is available on Comixology for a mere—I think it's one—is that one ninety nine or even one forty nine?
2: <laughs> Have you read it, Matt? Yes. What did you think? I liked it. I did like it a lot actually. Um, the fact that it's the the animated universe, um, well, the, sorry, the Batman Adventures um, art style was was kind of odd because I'm not used to that, but uh, I, I did like it a lot. It's also just a little bit too. Too comical isn't really the right word, but it, I kind of like my Batman darker than this. And it, it, oddly, this isn't particularly dark in a certain way. No, because it's, it is got a certain level of sweetness to it. But I did like it a lot. It was it was nice to read something very different. And uh, Harley Quinn to me is, is the psycho bitch from the Arkham Asylum games. And yeah. it was nice to see a different type of character to it. It was uh, it was. <laughs> it was, it was I, the thing is, what you
1: can't overstate from that is you re- honestly. You'd read it and you would just assume that Harlequin had been part of the world for 25 years or more. Yeah. It was an oh, absolutely, it's, it's yeah. absolutely yeah. incredible way to introduce a character into a world and make her feel absolutely part of it. Yeah, that's Harlequin. So this
2: is her absolute first time she appears in the comics.
1: Yeah, she, this, is, this is where she was... Uh, uh, what, uh, hang
2: remember, on, does this
0: mean... Wait a second. Back up. Was she not in the animated series before this at all? She was created by Dini, wasn't she? So I wasn't like, she created to be there in the animated series, so Joker would have someone to talk to?
2: She was in the animated series first. She was
0: in the was episode Joker's Favor, which is in the first series, which would be uh, 1992. So two years before this comic came out. Yeah, but this was her first appearance in the comics. But it was—it yeah. wasn't within our comic continuity. No. It was within animated series comic uh, continuity, and in fact, when it ended up in the animated series, it was literally within that continuity.
1: Yeah, because basically, because Mad Love managed to do it in a way that felt organic and natural, it just, it became an, she just became an accepted part of the world. She was It was Harley Quinn. She was there. You know, so it was, it's an incredible, incredible little bit of work. There is, there is genuinely nothing like it in terms of sort of the impact of the character anywhere else in the Batman world, you know, it's a really strange little island, but a really beautiful one.
2: I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't. I didn't realise this. I assumed that this was a uh, something that had been she'd been in the comics for a while, and this was going back to doing a, an origin story. I didn't realise it was actually her first appearance. That's pretty impressive.
0: She did end up. Uh, I mean, she's in
2: Hush.
1: Yeah. Well, she's, she's an accepted part of the world. She's, she's part of the world now, you know, and there's, you can't get away from that. I, uh, the thing is, what they're doing with her in the new 52 is terrible because uh, they're, they're, she's been part of the suicide squad and it's just, it's heartbreaking really because she's one of my favourite, favourite characters. But the, if you go back to that original stuff, it's just, I mean, again, it's, it's really this strange thing to read it and just think, oh, that's so sweet. This is the Joker's girlfriend. This is a woman who is in love with the ultimate homicidal maniac. You know, she calls, she calls him pudding. You know. Oh, just, yeah. And he punches her in the face for it. Yeah. You know, and it, this is, it's, it's the ultimate in abusive relationships.
0: I actually used it as an example to Lyra of how never, to, to, how to be aware that she must never get into an abusive relationship.
1: Yeah. And do you you know what? I will end up doing that in the future with, with Bo, my daughter as well. It's, it's, it's just a, a pitch perfect little story. And again, it's a massive personal preference. Some people might read it and say this is, this is utter garbage, but. I can't see it. I just think it's a really, and it's is one issue. It's it's you know it's one issue story. It's trust me, it's worth a punt. Now
0: the next one is my number one, my absolute favorite, Hush, written by Jeff Loeb, art by Jim Lee. Now we've done a whole podcast on this already, and I'm not going to even talk about it. I'm just going to say right now that this is my solid gold Gonzo guarantee <laughs> that if you like Batman and you haven't read Hush yet. Go and read Hush. It is ridiculously cheap on Kindle, and it's uh, it's not too expensive even on Comixology. It's twelve really issues, good. and it's really just really good. Stuff. good. <laughs> it is it's a it's a whodunit mystery series, but it's also a reintroduction of the character and getting all the way back down to basics. It marries it up with the animated series. It's very cinematic. It's self-contained, so you don't need to know anything about Batman, but if you do know things about Batman, it's got filled with quirky little details that you don't need to know, but if you see them, then it's like little bits of extra brilliance. And I'm uh, amazed that Jeff Loeb himself wrote this, because uh, like I said, although I do like the, uh, the Long Halloween as well, he's really got a handle on Batman, or more so than on more famous, more accredited writers.
2: It looks, it just looks glorious as well. Yeah. The artwork is fabulous.
0: I am very proud of my Absolute Edition of Hush, which is you know massively sized, hardbound, slipcase, gorgeous.
2: Yeah. I got given my copy of Hush by uh, the incredibly generous uh, Giles Thomas uh, from the uh, Gonzo Planet community, uh, completely gratis, and I'm incredibly grateful to him for it because uh, yeah, it's it's magic get it read a lot of people don't like it some batman fans don't like it i've heard but i can't honestly think why
0: absolutely everyone who doesn't like it is crazy (laughs) (laughs) and i would know okay so yeah we'll breeze over hush just that that was number one okay next up gotham central which i haven't read but you've been reading a lot so matt talk please
2: Gotham Central is about the Major Crimes Unit of uh, Gotham PD, which is set up by uh, Jim Gordon and was, ha- was all handpicked people. Uh, and basically, they are the regular, normal people, the normal cops that have to deal with, uh, among other things, the supervillains of Gotham. It is a Batman story to a point. Batman is in it, but he is a supporting character only. This is about the just the regular people, and it's bloody brilliant it's yeah. absolutely fantastic. Written by Baker who is some kind of genius it seems. I love this stuff. There's um
1: the thing about Batman in it. He almost haunts it, doesn't he? He's, he's almost mm. like a ghost who just swoops in uh, for a couple of panels and just yeah. It, it's just it's a fantastic exploration of Batman's world and it again I know I'm saying it on every one but it's just it's it's really really good. It, it, the characters you get really invested in them. Have you read the whole thing yet, Matt? Have you got yep. to the end?
2: Yeah, I've read it all. Yeah. Twice. Well, we, we won't
1: spoil the twist, but the when you get to the end, there is a there's a real kick in the balls. And I tell you, it it, it got to me. To be fair, it really oh, really
2: got to me. I couldn't I couldn't quite believe they ended it that way. To be honest, yeah, I knew it was a, a regular series that that didn't sell it was critically well received it didn't sell well and so they they didn't last as long as perhaps uh, certainly as i'd have liked it to but um what, what i did like about it is that you've got i say normal people and you've got um characters who are very much supporting batman and think that he is you know a good thing and he's helping them out and you've got people on the complete opposite side who think he's just a a thug and a vigilante he needs to be taken down Mm. and have these people who who respect each other on a professional level or in some cases don't who are having these this um sort of friction between them because they've got such massively opposing views on Mm. batman but batman himself really doesn't turn up that often. There's certain points yeah. at which he turns up a lot, but there's entire sort of, uh, sections where he's not even in it. And yeah. I really like the way they, they investigated that. It's, the the characterization is incredible.
1: The, t- the, the two things I really, really took from it is, one, uh, that the opening arc with Mr. Freeze manages to make Mr. Freeze an actual, a really nasty terrifying villain rather than a prick with a freeze gun which you know which is is to be frank is where where he goes 90 percent of the time and the other thing is you really get this sense of people doing a job watching batman go and do the things they'd love to do they would love to go and kick the shit out of someone and dump him on a police roof and say right arrest him but they can't it they have to follow procedures they have to do things the right way they have to fill out the forms you know and it's just it, it's i mean it's it's epic but it's also really well contained and it's out now in four volumes um analog as, mm-hmm. as you call it alex uh, <laughs> and it, it really I just can't uh, like you Matt I can't recommend it highly
2: enough I mean I, I didn't put this at my number one on my list simply because it's not technically a Batman graphic novel yeah. yeah, but it's right up there and I was so tempted to put it at the top I absolutely loved it from start to finish um, uh, it's one of the few that I've got in, in paper form I actually prefer reading stuff in digital but Gotham Central, I'm, I'm buying in, in uh, hard copy because it just it just looks so fantastic. I, I the, love it.
1: The artwork throughout is consistent as well, which I love. I, it, well, it's all Greg me,
2: Rucker, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it, it nothing just, drives me more up the wall than you've got one artist doing one issue and it's the same story and you come and it's a completely different artist who brings something completely different to it in terms of feel. It's consistent in terms of the artwork and the story. And there are stuff... The, the stuff that pays off in the final few issues, the seeds of which are laid in the first few issues. And it's just, it's, it's magnificent, to be honest.
2: Yeah. I, it really is. And, uh, you've, you've got this, it's basically, it's NYPD blue, but in Gotham to a certain yeah. extent. Yeah. Yeah. And it's got a real sort of, uh, sort of a close family, a squabbling family feel to it because the, the yeah. The individual characters, there's quite a few of them, but they're all really, really well-realized and consistently, say, all the way through. And you've got these characters. You see them go from uh, you know, who they are at the beginning and you follow them all the way through to the very end of it. And you see these you know, characters who are uh, basically getting completely strung out by what's happening to them or they're really coming to accept where they are or they're just getting sick of Gotham or they're, they're, they're kind of relishing the challenge and... Uh, it's it's one of the first sort of non superhero comics that I read. It's one of the first that wasn't Batman or, or one of the key uh, marquee characters, uh, and it's far and away my favourite. Um, it's probably my favourite comic that I've I've, I've read. Um, Ever, I think. Wow, yeah. I really, okay, really, really like Gotham Central. Considering how so- many you read per
0: day, <laughs> now, uh, consider it, like you've basically just got this like uh, intravenous drip from Comicsology direct to your oh, brain.
1: <laughs> to be fair, Alex, though, it is that good. I mean, oh, there's wow. even – there's there's an issue in there which deals with it would have been it'd be an infinite crisis that was happening at the same time. Right. Yeah. And you see it through the eyes of uh, uh, a couple of the, the cops there and various other people. And you even just get the sense of them being – Freaked police- out? <laughs> not even freaked out, but just trying to – you know there's still a police force there's still a job to do there's still a public perception there's still yeah. a role to play in this world where gods exist you know it's it, it,
2: oh, it's just brilliant who's torn between his his desire is you know need to to do his job and need to get home yeah uh, you know he's Go through a real crisis at this point, because he, yeah. you know, he's got to look after his family, but he can't just abandon the people of Gotham. He can't chuck the badge away. The yeah. universe is falling apart, and it, oh, yeah, that was, that was a very good one. Yes. Have you, have you read it, Alex?
0: No, no, I haven't read a single
2: issue, yeah. You, uh, you would, but the Matt's least...
0: gonna lend it to me.
2: I am, <laughs> in, <laughs> in analogue form. I borrowed one and three from the library, and i Bought two and four, so I've got to go back and buy one and three. So, uh, oh, the best comics the... ever, you have to buy them now. <laughs> I, I can't I've, I've got that. them here because I've borrowed them from the library again.
0: Oh, uh, right. so I've had them for about six weeks now. So, basically, yeah. no one else is allowed to read it yeah. while you do. Yeah.
1: Nope. Nope. I, 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 to be man. fair, you know, I've, I've never read a better police procedural comic ever. It is It is spectacularly
2: good. I mean, this is up there for me with Rising Stars. I mean, it, it's, you know, we're talking among the best, let's say, one of the best things I've ever
0: procedural comics, the first one that springs to my mind is Powers. So if it's, if it's as, yeah, as it's, good as that, can like, right?
2: easily as good as no, Powers. It's better than Powers. Whoa. Whoa. I've only read, I've only read the first volume of Powers, so I can't. That's I can't talking lose, some smack it's, right it's, there. It's, it's the shit, man. It's the fucking yeah. bollocks. It's the, Gotham, so
0: the it's, tits. It's the it's, shit and the bollocks. Oh yeah. It's, it's all. Manner
2: of bodily things. It's it's uh,
0: okay. Right. Well, that has more than piqued my interest.
2: Bring it. (laughs) Bring it. I will bring it. I will make sure I've got the first volume, uh, and I'll lend you the first two for the next time I come over.
0: (laughs) Okay. um, Right. So the next one on our list is under the hood. Uh, rid- written by Judd Winnick in 2005. Now, this one, uh, folks who've seen Under the Red Hood will actually be... and w- In fact, we reviewed it as well, so I don't think we really need to go into much detail on it. It is an expanded version of the film Under the Red Hood. Yeah, and I, I would personally, I would say watch the film yeah it it, um someone else said that they actually didn't care for the book i like the book but the film does a better job of keeping this tight and paced it gets uh, mr freeze was supposed to be in there as well and there was a lot of extra guff but um yeah it's also the whole uh rachel ghoul being connected with it it simplifies why jason is back again yeah and uh yeah that that yeah the film is it's, it's my third favorite batman film so yeah uh see the film if you haven't yet, and if you have and want to know more, then track down Under the Hood, which is a uh like hush, it's a two book two volume book. Uh then after that is Batman and Son, which I actually read back in the day and was not impressed with. So um uh, Matt, have you read Batman and Son at all? No. Okay, right. Well then it falls to Dave. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tell us why Batman and Son is actually really good. It,
1: the thing is, you can't talk about it in terms of Batman and Son. You have to talk about Grant Morrison's run okay. from here to RIP. Do you want RIP. to include
0: RIP as well? You have to. You have to. Okay. You have yeah. to. Um, a module. No, sorry. Then blend the two for us.
1: Well, what Morrison does is he starts laying the seeds of the story uh, that will lead up to RIP, which is you've got... Talia Algol has, clo- has uh, not cloned, she's, um, genetically engineered a child from when her and Bruce slept together. Um, so she's literally milked him. Literally milked
3: <laughs>
0: him. Um, milking so the Batman license. He's while, had- Well, milking the Batman himself.
1: He's had ten years training um, with the League of Shadows, and he is—he is a little dickhead in
0: every sense of the word. He is a spiteful little shit, doesn't he? Like nearly kill yeah. Tim Drake. Yes. Like if the first thing he does when he gets into the Batcave is like, "Well, oh, kill you."
1: Oh, don't worry, he nearly kills him a couple of times, and then he goes out and kills a villain called the Spook, brings his head back home for Bruce in a bag, and says, "Look at me, father. Aren't I found you a head." Um, but what it then, what it then goes on to is, is once Bruce realizes he can't have Damien running wild, he can't have him out there. So he he brings him under his protection, which causes obviously a huge rift with Tim. Um, but it then leads into basically the, the black love and the various other stories, which are where there's this society, who is building around Batman with the aim of of ultimately breaking him down mentally? Um, and you can't—I I literally I can't condense this down, Alex, without completely spoiling it for everyone. Okay. But it oh, builds that, up.
0: Oh well, yeah, don't spoil it.
1: It, it builds up um, into the R.I.P. arc, which. If you if you've ever read Grant Morrison you'll know reading single issues is a nightmare because if you think you can read one issue one month and four weeks later read another and you can understand the nuances and the the traps he's been laying and stuff you you just you can't you, you have to you basically have to go back and you have to read it as a complete arc and build to RIP which is where you've you could almost read it as Batman against the Devil um and it is just oh it's just, it 's just it's it 's a really difficult, complex, frustrating story that once you read the whole thing and you get it and to be you know i 'll be honest it took me i think i probably read through it three times before I really understood it and understood who Dr hurt was and got to the real base layers of the whole story and the the crumbs he 'd laid. It's just, it's excellent, and I can't say a lot more without spoiling it, but ultimately it ends with, with you know, Batman effectively dead. Um, there is, you can, he dies in Final Crisis, but whether you choose to believe it or whether you choose to believe Grant Morrison is effectively killing Batman at the end of R.I.P., which is what he's... It, There's a lot of talk that Final Crisis, the scheduling was moved around, so the sort of the Batman kill was moved into there to make that feel more suitably fatal, you know, more epic, bigger, if you like. But you can read RIP and at the end of RIP you can read it as Batman is gone from there. There is some issues after that explain what happens between that and Crisis, but it's, it's just, It is a masterpiece in Grant Morrison. And if you don't like Grant Morrison, you will hate it. It, it, Because there are, again, there are things that... What if you
0: occasionally quite like Grant Morrison?
1: Then you should try it, but you should, you should start from the start. I did! I
0: didn't like it!
1: Yeah, but the thing is, the thing is, Damien's art, Damien becomes, he is a whiny little toad. He's still a whiny toad by RIP. What really makes him is what follows when he becomes Robin with Dick Grayson when he takes up the mantle. Uh, that's what really makes Damien. But the bit it's not really a story about Damien. Damien's in it, but the whole run is just you have to, if you, if you can read it and go online and read somebody's annotated notes, you'll get so much more from it because there's things, there's graffiti in the background of trigger words which will send Bruce loopy like 15 issues later. Like,
0: would you kindly?
1: You know, it's, <laughs> it's, I'll say no more than, you know, Back in back in the real in the really bizarre days of of, of Batman, he went to a parallel universe of a Zun N R, and where the Batman there was in a yellow and red suit with a purple cape, and he had the Bat Radio, the Bat Radar, or whatever it was to talk to other universes. And Morrison actually manages to makes he makes he manages to make sense of Batmite. He manages to put Batmite in a story, and it makes complete sense.
0: As if you and, haven't heard of Batmite, there is a good reason for this.
1: Yeah, well, he, he becomes a he effectively becomes a drug hallucination. Though I must say, if you've ever the 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 story when um, Batmite is introduced, he's also introduced there as a drug hallucination. So it it all makes sense and it all ties in. And there's Grant Morrison is taking stuff like the Club of Villains and the Club the Club of Heroes, and this is stuff way back from the Golden Age and making characters relevant it's 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 really good but again there are parts of it which are impenetrable there are parts of it which you have to do you uh, literally it was i would read something and have to head to the internet and i i mean i i without boasting i know my stuff you know i know this it well it would
0: appear you do
1: <laughs> yeah. but there were still things i had to go back and check and go who, who the who the bloody hell with that so it, it is difficult, it's complex, it's not easy, but it is, it's also on a level, it's, 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 it's fascinating, it's fascinating. I love things where you can read it once and you realize you have missed literally 75% of, of what was actually going on. And it also sets up a lot of what, what came after with the, the Dick Grace and stuff and the, um, with what happened to Damien from there. And again, I don't want to go in and sort of spoil it for everyone because we're getting later and later. So we're getting to a point where people, you know, can go back and read, but it's,
3: yeah,
1: yeah it, it's, it's well worth going into, but you should go into it with the understanding, which if you try it and you don't like it, it may be worth giving it another go. It may be worth <laughs> staying with it. You know,
0: not singling out any particular people on this show. <laughs>
1: this well, no, I, the thing is, I completely get why, with Batman in some way, he felt like that. I completely yeah. understand
0: that. Um, I but, think if you, if you lend me the graphic novels, probably give them another go. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> no it's, it's a great, it's a great run, but I, like I said, I guarantee there are moments where you'll just, you'll have to have, it's right internet time
0: <laughs> I do like the idea of an, uh, a writer being so clever that he 's running rings around me because i there 's almost nothing no there is nothing worse than feeling smarter than your writer who by the way thinks he 's really smart yeah. the thing that the th- like, oh well, yeah, yeah didn 't see that one coming
1: the thing that is real i mean the other thing is it 's Grant Morrison is really playing i mean there 's a there 's an issue which is a, a text story you know it's it's it 's a story about the joker and How they retcon in his um, Heath Ledger smile, Um, because, you know, they they changed that in this arc, because obviously the scars were such a good idea from the Dark Knight that now, you know, it's the Joker has the scarred mouth. And the thing they do with the Joker is he reintroduces the idea of the Joker reinventing himself and revolutionizing himself, um, and it explains it and it goes into the psychology of that, and the psychology of everything from red and black to choosing various numbers at various. It's just it's a fascinating story. It's not it's you know it's as I said it's not for everyone. But if you get it, then you'll really get it.
0: Batman and Son. Just check see what this is coming out. Yeah, you've got four ninety six for the Kindle edition.
1: Yeah, then you've got the Resurrection of Ra's Al Ghul or Ra's Al Ghul, depending how you want to say it. Um,
0: Andy and Kubert's doing the artwork there. Nice. Yeah,
1: which is which is great. Um, then you've got the Black Glove. Um, and you really need to have read those other two before you go into The Black Glove, because The Black Glove starts building up the R.I.P. story, basically. That is that is where it, it really starts, in essence. Um, and the only thing I'll say about The Black Glove is that's where you Cookie Trail lies. That's where you can start looking in the backgrounds and really seeing
0: what's coming next. And then you go into R.I.P., Okay, so it's uh, Batman and Son, Black, The Black Glove, and R.I.P. Yeah. Okay. Right. So after that, there's Battle for the Cowl, which you've never particularly liked.
1: No, because t- Tony Daniel is a fantastic artist and an absolutely terrible writer.
0: So uh, this is not essential, and people shouldn't bother with it. It's uh, after Batman is apparently dead, um, the various Robins and other wards fight for the chance to be Batman.
1: Well, not, not so much fight. Dick doesn't want it. Tim Drake doesn't want it, but knows there has to be a Batman, so takes it on reluctantly, but only ever as an imitation, never wanting to do it longer term. Um, Jason Todd... Takes it on and turns it into a complete, like a homicidal maniac. Harvey Dent is even interested in taking it on. It's just, it's, it's, it's alright. It's, it's perfectly readable and after you've read, at the time, after you'd read RIP and waded through the layers of it and the, you know, the real nuances of it, it was almost felt like a little bit of a break just yeah. to read something obvious and something predictable. But uh, the thing is, with Battle for the Cow, you're better going straight on to the Batman and Robin run that Grant Morrison wrote, which is where um, it's Dick and Damien, basically, uh, the new Batman and Robin. And this, I think there's three volumes, um, and they're just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. There, there's The overriding story is that you know obviously bruce is in the background um and they want they they realize that he's still alive and he's laying a trail through time in portraits and at the manor and in various other places to try and come back um yeah i I won't say any more than that but again well worth a read but you know, you're obviously you're investing into it at that point because you've got three volumes, I think six issues in each, and you need to have read the sort of four volumes before that with six issues in each. There's also the other thing to mention in that run. There's some really good new villains introduced, like Professor Pig and and various others. Um, and it's it's Grant Morrison taking almost like sort of, I mean, at one point. There's, you know, he's taking characters like Toad of Toad Hall <laughs> and turning them into Batman villains, which sounds utterly shit,
0: but it's it's not. You you it's have just to the offhand that. way you said, oh, it's a great villain, Professor Pig and <laughs> Toad of Toad Hall. It's yeah, like the average it's... listener like has no idea that these guys are villains. It'd be like, what the fuck but has <laughs> gone wrong with Batman? Yeah,
2: Professor the, Pig and what the hell happened Pig? to Mister Pig All kinds
0: go and
1: yeah. Where, the thing is. It's like, if you give Grant Morrison free reign, he will do these things, I'm afraid. He will create whole worlds of... of yeah, New X-Men magic.
0: fucking proved that, with Peek yeah. and all his disgusting companions.
1: But it's... It, it creates this sort of... Like a circus of villains, and Professor Pig, I will tell you, is fucking terrifying. As as a villain, he is, honestly, he is, he is out there. Genuinely out there, but... It's, there's also, um, some fantastic art, uh, artwork through that run. Morrison and Frank quietly together is always, always a good thing. Always a good thing. So, um, it's, it, it, it's worth reading as opposed to going down the battle for the cow route, which is very obvious and very sort of linear. You know what's going to happen, but, you know, be prepared for, to, to go all over the place. It's, it's, Grant Morrison is known for occasionally writing while high, and that is absolutely no surprise
0: when you read Professor one or two. Pink,
2: I, I'll go with that. Yeah, I'll believe you.
0: <laughs> yeah, there, there's, there's just Google images it. <laughs> yeah, it's P Y G by the way, not yeah, uh, not P I G. I tell you,
1: you if if I was to tell you the sort of essence of his character, it doesn't work when you say it out loud, but when you read it. Under Grant Morrison's hand, it's just <laughs> unfortunately,
0: nobody terrifying. can be told what Professor Pig is all about. You have to read it for yourself.
1: But it's it's just it, it, it was a, it was a new era. But the
0: really interesting thing they why is he in Beware the Batman, the new kiddie oriented Batman show in CG?
1: Well, it will be the most watered down and simplified version because you just you you just couldn't. You couldn't have it in the form he exists in, in that world. I mean, that beware of the Batman uh, is, is going to be a completely separate universe. I mean, I'm assuming the female character in it is Katana, um, who has had, to my knowledge, virtually zero crossover. You've got the Alfred from Earth One Batman, the, the new, um, I think it was Jeff, Jeff Johns novel,
3: mm-hmm. or
1: I assume that's, that's where they're lifting it from. It just seems to be a whole sort of amalgamation of ideas rather than a...
0: Oh, Magpie's in there and, uh, Udo Keir as Mr. Toad.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, we see, they're taking a lot of the Grant Morrison's villains, but what they're doing is, in Morrison's hands, they're, honestly, I know it, I know it doesn't seem it, but they are, they are terrifying, sadistic, horrible people, but they're gonna water them down and water them down and turn them into, into, you know, kiddie versions, which is just going to be
0: terrible. Episode 1 coming July 13th, folks. Yeah, good luck with that. Okay, Uh, and just let's finish off, shall we? Um, The Black Mirror by Scott Snyder. Now, you have reverence for this book, don't you?
2: Yes. Um,
0: Before we start, Matt, have you read anything that we've just been talking about, or have you read Black Mirror? No. I've
2: not read uh, any of those last lot
0: okay so uh dave go for it because um yeah here we go. <laughs> like, right. here, go
1: well you've got to you've got to understand where we've come from which is where we've had all this stuff with r.i.p batman's now back through he's he's been traveling through time long story he comes back there's the whole world of batman inc which grant morrison has gone into so you've got this little pocket of a universe where Doc, dick grayson is still batman in gotham um, while Bruce is is actually back. And he starts with a, a story called Gates of Gotham, Scott Snyder, and it's a really good little story um, going back into Gotham's history. Then he moves on to a series called The, the Black Mirror. Now, again, personal preference. Any time Jock draws anything to do with Batman, I'm, I'm in, and I'll buy three copies if you want me to. But... <laughs> The way the, – the actual synergy between the writing and the artwork is is brilliant. It's, it's, if you get an artist who has a writer who is writing for his artwork to pull the best from it, it just makes such a difference. And you've got – the Black Mirror itself is sort of three or four – um, stories within a, a longer arc but it all introduces it, it sort of expands on dick as batman um and his relationship with damien and some of the other family and his relationship with the gordons who play the gordon family history comes into it and we meet james gordon jr who is just <laughs> well he is, he's literally. You know, Henry, portrait of a serial killer, dropped into that that Gotham world, um, and it's just a, a it's a brilliant, brilliant idea, brilliantly handled. Because they could have gone, ah, uh, you know, Jim Gordon's got a son, we could turn him into a bit of a psychopath, and it could have been absolutely awful. But they do it in such a in such a way that it's, it's it's just brilliant. It never feels forced. They take their time with it. The, uh, Francesco Francavilla, I think, did the, um, did a lot of the artwork on it with Jock because originally the Gordon story started as a backup and it's, it's just, it's, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. There are some moments, there's, there's the end, I won't spoil it for what actually happens, but, Yeah, really don't
0: spoil this one. When you
1: yeah. When you find out about which way James Gordon Jr. is going, the end of that book, I don't know if you remember it, Alex, yeah, but the it. last, the last page is truly a what the fuck moment when you find out quite how far gone this, this lad is. It's, it's just, it, it's, it's so well written, so well drawn, so well paced. Full um,
0: warning, folks, it's grim. Young. It's like seven yeah. grim.
1: Yeah, it's it's not you know it's this ain't this ain't mad love. This is this is you know dark as as dark as it comes. But it is you know it then leads on to to the owl story and what have you, and it is just Scott Snyder is doing brilliant things with Batman at the moment, and I, I can't recommend getting on his stuff enough, really
0: on that note actually we will move on to the new 52 Batman where they appear to have taken years off his life <laughs> and um, years off the lives of his wards you know Tim looks about 12 again and um, despite still being Red Robin and, yeah. uh, it might just be the, the artwork by uh, Greg Capullo but um, the new 52 storyline is A Court of Owls followed by Night of the Owls and yeah. uh, this is a secret society that has been operating out of Gotham for, uh, it would appear, a very, very, very long time. And so secret that Batman didn't know about them.
1: Yeah, they... they uh, I've almost... only read
0: three issues of this, so you're going to have to do most of the explaining. Yeah.
1: Uh, basically, when, when the sort of corners turned and we come into the new 52... Everything is still relevant from before, from what Snyder's been doing, but you've now got Batman back in the... the well, it's the Bruce again. Yeah, it's Bruce again and his, his family around him. Dick is off being Nightwing, um, and it's important because his story weaves into this as well. Um, so you've got you, you've sort of almost got back to the norm. Off in its own little world, you've still got Grant Morrison writing Batman, in, which is just like... Crazy and all over the place and brilliant and wonderful and still paying off in all sorts of ways from the first issue he wrote, but that's another story. So you should read that as well, along with this list of everything else we've given
0: you. But you've got—we will write this down for you, folks, as well.
1: Scott's what he's what Snyder's done is he's gone back and he's virtually turned parts of Gotham into almost like a weapon against Bruce. So you go but right back to his original arc of of how. Gotham was built and the gates of Gotham and what have you. And you find out architecturally, obviously buildings are still built effectively without a 13th floor. And you find out that these, these 13th floors around Gotham are what they call owl nests where their talons live, which is the, the society's assassin. But the assassin is, uh, again, I'm not going to spoil it, but there is, there's a twist with, the assassins um, and they are basically it's not spoiling it to say they are not zombies but they are uh, sort of undead shall we say um, and Batman, basically they capture Batman and they, they break him down and there's some really, really interesting things done even with the layout of the comic which is when Batman's in a labyrinth you're literally reading it you turn the page over and the two pages are printed upside down so you get this real sense of Batman being lost and going round and round in this labyrinth and um, it's it's just it's brilliant and he eventually escapes but because he's escaped it then leads onto to the Night of the Owls where they set uh, all their talons after him and it's it's just it's a great story. It's another one where there's far too many add-ons and you can you can genuinely not read any of them and you won't miss an awful lot. Um, it, the one thing Snyder does is he keeps a central story that you don't need to read, you know, this time and this issue of Catwoman and all that. It, there's there's a self contained story in there. But it's a really good, interesting story because it's. I, I love it when you see parts of Gotham that you haven't seen before, that feel, you know, they don't feel forced. It feels still feels natural, and it's just it's a great example of that. A really, really good example of that, and you know that that leads on to his next arc, which is about the Joker, and he, you know, that was magnificent again. Although the ending was a little up in the air shall we say but his his whole run scott snyder's whole run starting with gates Gotham, is well worth reading and working your way through um it's he's a you're looking at a, a writer who is a new writer to comics but i would suggest he's probably writing some of the best stuff he will ever write already so uh yeah well well worth reading well worth reading
0: so, uh, that one, again, you can start in comicsology just by reading issues 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Because after New 52, it went right back to 1, after all those hundreds of issues.
1: Yeah, and we wrote... The thing is, it shouldn't feel too imposing, because I think we're only on issue t- 23, possibly. Now, now. There's only 22, 22 comics to read. Yeah, 22, books. yeah. So, <laughs> <And> it's not... <laughs> Do that in an um, evening. But that... But you see... Well, I'd rather read, I'd rather read. Relative to fucking Nightfall, that's a breeze. <laughs> but it's, it's, the thing is, the next arc with the Joker, which, I mean, we haven't even discussed, Alex, is just a, uh, that's a
0: really, really. Death of good, the family?
1: Yeah. I mean, the ending is, is, is a podcast in itself, but, you know, he, Scott is doing just brilliant work brilliant brilliant work and at the, at the moment in the Batman world there are far too many Batman comics all you need to read is Scott Snyder's Batman Peter Tomas's uh, Batman and Robin at a push I would it is is good it's good but Grant Morrison's Batman ink as well is is brilliant everything else don't bother with like David Finch's Dark Knight is terrible just is you know it's awful and there's a bit of a saturation in the new 52 i mean batman's popping up all over the place to try and sell a few books for this character and that So character. It's like the
0: dc wolverine yeah yeah you,
1: you know they have they've, they've reintroduced batgirl as barbara gordon you know um, and it's just i i'm not enjoying it at all batwoman's okay um, but it's, it tries really, really hard to be innovative and new, and it, it doesn't always come off. By the way, just going back to, and again, I'm well aware I'm going on and on and on, but going back to Grant Morrison's run after R.I.P.'s run on Batman and Robin, there is some really good English-based stuff he introduces Knight and Squire, who are the English version of Batman and Robin.
0: Um, <laughs> I say, Squire, let's go over there and stu- well, they some a, do
1: some do-goodness. They had a spin-off written by Paul Cornell that's just brilliant. It's just so English. It's unbelievable. I mean, it it's like it mentions everything from sort of Bovril to Exchange and Mart. It's just completely impenetrable to an American reader to the point they had to put notes in the back of every issue. But
0: there's Arch, also, over yonder, Knight, some Bovril.
1: Yeah, well, Squire's like a, a cheeky little Cockney girl, and. <laughs> As night is, uh, is Cyril. It's, uh, <laughs> Folks, just yeah. so you know, it's one in the morning. Yeah.
0: <laughs> We've been doing this since 8.30. My brain's gone. I know, but it's
1: well worth reading because there's, there's an issue, another issue set in, uh, London as well. It's, it's well worth doing.
0: Okay, so um, if you check out the uh, the notes for this, should have the various uh, lists that we will have set up for you, which will be a chronological list of what you can work through, and a, a list of our ten, absolute, like the cream of the crop on that. However, before we go, there are three more books which have Batman in them, but are, technically speaking, Justice League books that we've got to mention. Um, right, May 1996, Kingdom Come. This is a alternate future universe where uh, uh, all of the uh, superheroes have retired, and it's not dissimilar to the Dark Knight Returns in that um, a bunch of super well, they're, they're sort of super criminals or, or superhumans who have just sort of turned up and started having war, fighting in the streets and causing massive amounts of destruction without any kind of uh, responsibility. So the old guard step in to say, "Oi." And then they put them all in a giant super prison because nothing bad can happen if you put a whole bunch of supers <laughs> in a giant super prison. And then something bad happens. Now the reason Kingdom Come for me is absolutely fantastic is that all of this stuff takes place and it's all this. It's, it's, a, it's mostly a Superman story. It's about his, um, you know, what do I do in this scenario? But the end of this one, it's not some huge climactic ending. It's just sitting down for some dinner. And I love the end of Kingdom Come. He takes his time with it, uh, and, um, this is written by who? Uh, it's Mark,
1: Mark Wade, Wade and Alex Ross, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, it's, it's written by Mark Wade, drawn by Alex Ross, who, uh, draws his inspiration from, uh, Norman Rockwell paintings and tends to sort of paint from life and from photographs of his own family. Um, and it, it's, it's got a real kind of earthy, realistic quality to it, and it, it looks gorgeous. Today, if, if you see, it's 1996 and uh, it's, it's timeless. Uh, so, and this is only four issues, and um, I think it was, I managed to snaffle it when it was on the Superman sale at 69 pence each, but uh, even paying, you know, for, full, full whack for this a, for a book, it's very inexpensive for the kind of um, important story it is. Uh, it is an alternate future and not part of main continuity.
1: I would only mention that it's the only. Uh, comic outsider watchman that you'll ever see rorschach in
0: oh bloody hell well, who, was he actually in it is, is he's he in,
1: in the background of a bar scene breaking uh, somebody's finger but if you look in the background of all the bar scenes you'll see uh, the question, sherlock holmes the beatles the rolling
0: stones
1: there's all sorts painted into the backgrounds of various scenes
0: yeah, Alex Ross has an incredible eye for detail and uh, nuance the detail in detail
2: is incredible, and it yeah. looks glorious, yeah. it's absolutely
0: fantastic.
1: And even though it, this is the DC Universe, if you look hard enough, I think you'll see um, Jean Grey's grave as well at one point. Yeah,
0: yeah, I do remember hearing that, actually. I
2: like the fact they've got um, Planet Krypton, which is like a, a, a Planet Hollywood-style themed yeah. restaurant. I just... The, the detail in that, there's just tons of little things that I'd spend ages looking at. It's, it's yeah. Uh, really, really cool. Thing,
1: the best thing about that is that Bruce just doesn't even look at the menu and just asks for a steak. <laughs> steak. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah. Which steak would you want? Steak. Well done. <laughs>
0: And that's uh, an alternate possible future continuity, but uh, by no means the only inevitable future. It's also a really good Wonder Woman book because uh, she becomes uh, the antagonist in it to a degree. Um, Batman Superman Public Enemies is the uh, was the first book in a uh, an ongoing series, and it's been made into a film, which is again really really good. And I actually I think I prefer the book because the the extra details um, improve it. There's unlike in uh, the Dark Knight Returns where we're removing the monologue actually and it benefits it, there's some really good monologue from Batman and Superman in this story where I mean, the the beginning of the book is um, Superman remembering being a baby and flying towards Earth and Batman remembering coming out of um, the uh, Mark of Zorro with his parents, both of them stepping towards their destinies. And their different outlooks are uh, portrayed by their monologues. The dream is always the same. The nightmare is always the same. And it's yeah, Jeff Loeb again. Once again, for some reason, he has a direct root to my heart regarding the DC heroes. And uh, it's, it's a wacky story about a, a giant kryptonite meteorite heading towards Earth. And Lex Luthor says, well, obviously, it's Superman's fault. And the world goes, yeah. Yeah, it is Superman's fault. Let's make him a public enemy. Uh, and uh, yeah, Superman and Batman go on the run. If you haven't seen it, track down the DVD and buy it. It's it's pounds, and it's great stuff. It's got Kevin Conroy as Batman again, Tim Daly reprising his role as Superman after being on the animated series originally. And, uh, and the wonderful Clancy Brown's Lex Luthor, it throws in cameos, almost haphazardly, like, hey, kids, remember Captain Adam? And how about Major Force? And how about Katana? And how about Solomon Grundy? And how about Grodd? And there's just so many chucked at the screen. All, you know, again, more in the book. And I would recommend what, reading the book as well. It's got, um, it's, is it Ed McGuinness doing the art on this yeah. one?
1: Yeah.
0: <sighs> Ed McGuinness can draw one man and change his costume (laughs) and one woman and change her costume there is a line of DC uh, figures where they basically have the same fucking mould of the same fucking guy standing with his hands by his sides and it's like yes that's the same guy and and this is now it's Superman now it's Batman now it's the Flash now it's uh, Green Lantern but for some reason this oddly cartoonish almost it's almost like Little Big Planet that they're like this sack boy superhero that he just changes the outfit on it's chunky and colorful and uh, the the dialogue is is snappy and amusing and it, it sort of it fits in with the hush world and um yeah i, I would recommend public enemies and again it's it's inexpensive to get hold of these days and finally identity crisis Now, this is going to be my next audio drama. I've decided this in the past couple of days. I haven't even talked to either of you guys about it. But uh, I reread it, and I know you believe it to be a cruel book, David. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But uh, for me, it's one of the most heartfelt, uh, honest, and uh, human of all the superhero books that I've uh, read. And it's it's very, very sad and... um, I'm going to have to actually work a way to sort of balance it out. There's also a lot of like it introduces a lot of characters, which if you don't know um, Justice League, you'd be like, "Who's this guy?" But I didn't know Justice League when I started reading it, and I was hooked by the first issue. Uh, I honestly recommend people read Identity Crisis by Brad Meltzer. the The end result is that the heroes grow to value their families that much more and find that the, uh, their, their secret lives are something incredibly fragile that must be protected okay um, and Matt you haven't read this yet have you? no
2: no I've not made it that far yet I've uh... I don't have enough money to buy everything, uh, and I don't have time to read it all either, so I will get to it in, in time, I'm sure.
0: Well, folks, you've had my endorsement, and you've had the warning of mean-spiritedness from David, uh, and <laughs> I, I heartily recommend you track it down and decide for yourself and prepare thyself for uh, the upcoming audio drama. I don't know when that will be, but it's, it's just important enough in the general scheme of things. It's an Ollie book as well. I'm going to have Ollie narrate this thing to make it easier to understand and get through. And it's also incredibly hugely important for Tim Drake, which will be of major impact in the uh, upcoming Tim Drake Year One, which is the code name for the follow-up to Batman Breakdown, an actual true sequel written from scratch by me with great help along the way from David. That'll do, I think. I think that's taken us from Batman all the way back in Crisis Era all the way up to now. Uh you can uh, check the notes for the various lists and we will see you in the next few days for Batman The Killing Joke. Okay folks. Uh didn't want to end this one on a downer, but I've had a downer of a week. Uh one of my all time favourite podcasters a uh, legend to me and uh, a lot of other people um passed away uh, mr ryan davis of giant bomb um this bit's totally unscripted i just want to put it a bit at the end uh because there's never going to be a totally appropriate time to talk about this um he was one of the guys that made me and tony way back in 2007 and, and paul shot and wanted to do digital cowboys um uh, not not only that but coming up there is a, a, there was a little bit on Giant Bomb um, way back in early let's see what was it uh, 9th of May 2009 uh, when we've been going for a while and this was our 104th episode of Digital Cowboys um, sent, them a, uh, sent them some snacks because they the giant bomb crew tend to eat snacks (laughs) when you send them to them and they enjoyed it and they mentioned us and um, didn't even need a mention just wanted to send, send send them a bit of love and oh god Last week we got mentioned on Giant Bomb. Many of you may remember we sent out a package of British sweets and snacks, uh, Jaffa Cakes, Twiglets, etc. Just, to, I mean, we weren't trying to plug for a uh, spot on them. We weren't hoping that they would mention us, but we were just hoping that they'd eat them on air and, and go, uh, hey, our Twiglets, they, oh they taste terrible. Um, you know, we we would hope, which they did, yeah, to get there. But uh, yeah, we're gonna uh, we'll play this for you now. Uh,
2: but I did want to say that one of the things that Tim sent us was Twiglets, which we had uh, previously been sent by uh, Alex and Tony from Digital Cowboys. They sent us a gift box full of stuff that just kind of got eaten um, <laughs> before the show. That happened. Remember those Ooh. Jaffa cakes? They sent us those Jaffa cakes. Oh yeah,
1: those tasted like kind of like orange cupcakes. Yeah. They, they led to me buying
2: orange cupcakes. Those are good. The twiglets are terrible. Twiglets taste like dirt. Like, like. Like sticks. Like (laughs) Like twigs. Like literally, like they took sticks. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, terrible. Terrible. Yeah, that was, that was like. That was not good, so. It's like a little twig. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. Alex and uh, Tony also sent us this sherbet fountain, which came in this Tesco bag. So you know it's good. <laughs> Which is basically a, just this just a box box plastic,
0: just a, yeah, like a little this plastic a sandwich bag. Yeah. Sitting a little sandwich bag from
2: Tesco's. So, so apparently there's just like a gigantic price war going on between all these discount retailers like Tesco and like Sainsbury's and a, a few other places. Like ads on TV all the time. Just like saying, like, we, comp- we bought a basket of stuff and compared it to some stuff from Tesco and ours was cheaper. Like 80% of the time, real baskets, r- really cheaper. This is in the UK? Yeah, yeah. So it's all got, like, crazy accents, too? Yeah. Fired up UK people? And, and then there's, there's one
0: chain over there that, like, their their sign of, like, savings is slapping their ass and having there be a coin noise. Like, it's like, you got chains in your pocket.
2: <laughs> so you. it's,
0: like, just people smacking their ass
2: and then a little, like, chain. and I'm like, yeah. That's how I get paid. I got some Pence.
0: As a result of that little shout-out, we got a whole ton of listeners to Digital Cowboys who were never there before, including Giles Thomas and a whole bunch of others. These guys put us on the map, and short of just telling them face-to-face that they were incredibly inspirational to us, we have never been able to do anything for them. So after nothing else I'm contributing to uh, Ryan's family. They've got a, a t-shirt going on Giant Bomb. You should go check that one out. Uh, which you should most likely already know about since far more people listen to Giant Bomb than, than will ever listen to my show. I've been walking around in a daze because, you know, you, you think It's not often podcasters die. I can't think of many at all. And this, it feels kind of, this is my crowd. This is the, the people that, I mean, I've, I've, I'm I've on no way near the level of Giant Bomb. But it's what I do, and they're just doing it at the very, very top. Um, I did meet him once. Tony and I, we met him at uh, PAX in 2009. And not long after this, we reminded him of the um, snack box. And them, I mean, it's, they've always been a group, they've always been like, and I, I, I quoted this on Twitter, they've always been like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And if you told me one morning, oh, Michelangelo's dead, he's not coming back. I, I, I just, I reeled from it because that's not supposed to happen. You know? So, I mean, I, I don't know, people die all the time and it's, it's, my heart goes out to every single listener who has had someone close to them die Um, and I can't begin to imagine what losing somebody very very close to you feels like anyway um This song is for Ryan because it just made me value the people that I do know all the more. And this one's for Ryan.
3: Got too rough. She didn't care. She was proud of us. I ran around and talked to the animals, telling them stories of savage cannibals. Then I got older and noticed a girl. First I was sure I didn't exist to her. I soaked around, but I didn't know why. Then she put a cheek on my shoulder and I. Looking at her, and she was looking at me. We started to smile, it was our destiny. Tina was a name, she was my cutie pie. I forgot about the things I used to like. I spent all my time following her around. My friends all made the wind flash sound. But they understood they was happy for me. And everyone clapped when I asked her to marry me. She said yes to me. So fine, we lost track of the passing of time. Before I knew it, we had our own babies. Gina shit.